So again, I welcome everybody for the sake of the recording to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Uh, today we're going to be moving on into study number 36 in our uh, series called Prayer Through the Dispensations and the date's uh, January 17th, 21. Uh, it's been an interesting, interesting study for sure as we've been going through this uh, and our purpose in doing it, of course, is to look at prayer in the scriptures and how it's used in different dispensations relative to mankind in our communion with our Creator. And hopefully everybody, <laughs> I, I can't say the word dispensation a lot without thinking about Larry using it. He used to call it a, uh, uh, one of those wheelbarrow words. Remember when he would say that? It's like a big word that nobody knows what it means. You can all, you could just as well put wheelbarrow in the sentence and it would make as much sense to him. That's, that's kind of <laughs> Kind of what Larry used to say about about the word, the big word dispensation. And it's not a scary word. It, it simply means an administration of, uh, uh, you know, the the rule of, uh, so to say, or the controlling factors of is a, maybe even another way to put it. So last study, last week, uh, we kept moving forward with our our study of prayer in the kingdom dispensation scriptures. Uh, by reviewing more verses that we found in Second Corinthians chapter one and Second Corinthians chapter five, we spent most of the uh, most of the time last week, I believe, going through Second Corinthians five. It had a lot of resurrection-related truth in it, or the bodies of resurrection truth in it. That uh, and 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 it also contained probably the most misquoted verse in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.8, and I could not pass that up. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that that ain't going to happen. So uh, got my two cents worth in on that. If you didn't get to hear it, uh, maybe dial into the recording whenever we get it posted, and, and you can you can check it out. So for today's study, I want to keep on moving through the Acts period usages uh, of prayer by moving on. Uh, to review the usages in First Thessalonians. Now, I know that last week we mentioned that there were more verses in Second Corinthians, and I want to go over at least quickly here the last one of those. Now, the last usage in Second Corinthians that has the word "pray" in it is in Second Corinthians thirteen, uh, chapter thirteen, verse seven. So if you would turn now, I want to read this verse to you. And we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one. But just incidentally, so you'll know, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, he says, Praying us uh, with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. Praying here is deami, or deami. Um And then in 2 Corinthians 9, 14, uh, Paul says, And by their prayer for you, uh, which is deesis, or diocese, and that means uh, a prayer, a petition, a request uh, for supplication. And then in Second Corinthians thirteen seven, this is the one that I wanted to bring to your attention because it's quite obviously prayer to God, but it's not either prosuke or prosukama, as we've been saying. This word is eukome, or eukome. And it's, uh, it literally means to wish or by implication to pray to God, uh, to pray, to will, or to wish. So we can add to our prosuke and 
prosukamai list, you can go ahead and add the word eukamai. Uh, and it, because it means, uh, to wish or to pray to God. And let me read you the verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 7 that, that Paul uses it in. He says, now I pray to God. See that? He's not just praying or wishing or beseeching. He's praying to God. Pretty obviously from the, from the text in the verse itself. So he says, now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that, which is honest, though we be as reprobates. And reprobates there is a castaway, one who is rejected. He said, but he prayed that they would do that, which uh, is honest, though we be as reprobates. I think in, in a lot of times in, in terms of God's holiness, we are. We are, we're, you know, our best is but just filthy rags. But, that's Paul's prayer. He says, I pray, you may, to God, uh, that ye do no evil. And, and that was the, the prayer that he gave over to the, to the Corinthians. Remember, 2 Corinthians is still a book of correction. And Paul's admonitions and prayers are that they would do the right thing with regards to that which they believe. Because that assembly had a lot of internal problems. Well, here this one is a double negative, too. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's got anything to do with it or not. Yeah. Well, that pray to God that you do no evil. Uh, not that we would uh, appear we, approved. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. You know, so there's, uh, I wanted to at least get a little mention of the last three in, in second Corinthians. And, and I thought it very interesting that all the, all the usages of the word prayer or that which is translated from the Greek to the English as pray is, it's, uh, it's all, uh, like an emergency beseeching. It's, um, done with great, uh, done with great enthusiasm as if, uh, praying hard and, Praying earnestly because Paul knew they needed it. They needed help. And that was um, the main purpose of the epistle that he sent back to, that second epistle back to uh, the Corinthians there. So do want to get those in as an honorable mention before we moved on to Thessalonians. So uh, turn with me, if you would, First Thessalonians chapter 1. But before we do that, I do want to read the um, the introduction. I love these introductions. If you'll take the time in the Companion Bible to read the introduction to each of the epistles or books that that you're reading, it will greatly enhance your dispensational understanding of that which you read. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. By dispensational, I mean, well, who wrote it? Uh, why was it written? Who was it written to? What are the mitigating circumstances behind its writing? And what is the purpose of the writing? All those, all those things have to do with what I call right division of the scripture. With rightly dividing the word of truth so that, you know, you, folks can understand what's, what God is saying and who he's saying it to. Because a lot of scripture is dispensational. A lot of it, as Paul said, is therefore our learning that we may know. Not necessarily to us but for us, for our learning. 
And that's that's hard for a lot of people that just want to open the book and believe that the entire Bible is written to them, and, and they love to do that until you start showing them the law. But, well, do you sacrifice this? Do you keep this feast? Do you do this? Do you do that? Well, no, we don't have to do that. Well, then, then they've contradicted themselves. They're rightly dividing whether they know it or not. And if you think somebody's doing that, ask them, well, are you under the law or are you under grace today? And it's not a trick question, it's not a trap question, it's an easy question. If they answer anything other than grace, then they don't know where they are. If they think they're under the law, then then they've opened up a whole avenue of discussion. Well, why are you as a Gentile keeping the law? Did you not know that the law was given to the Jews only? I mean, there's a whole host of questions. And then if they say, well, I'm under grace... You can say, well, see, you do you do rightly divide even though you don't understand it or maybe that you do it on a very superficial level. You're still rightly dividing if you separate law and grace. And and everybody rightfully should separate law from grace because they're opposite ends of the spectrum. Enough of that. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Let's read the scripture. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, which I believe is the whole chapter. But first... I'm going to read the introduction to the book of Thessalonians. And it says, The church of the Thessalonians was planted by Paul in association with Silas and Timothy. And as it says in Acts 17, uh, verses 1 through 8 or 1 through 9, I believe there. So you can trace Paul's trip to Thessalonica. In the book of Acts. That's why you got to say that Thessalonians is an Acts period book. Mm-hmm. Because it's written, uh, it's written by reason of their visit there. And you can gain more about the people, the timing, who was there, who was not there by reading the book of Thessalonians. See, it adds to your understanding of the book of Acts and the, the events that took place in the book of Acts when you, when you do this. It says, although some of the Jews believed, uh, it was composed mainly of Gentiles, and their joyful reception of the message as the word of God was the prelude to active missionary operations in all Achaia and Macedonia, as it says in chapter 1, verse 8, a a territory about as large as Great Britain. So when you think about Macedonia, when Paul says, i got to go to Macedonia, or I'm moving through Macedonia. He's moving through an area about the size of Great Britain, which is not too small. About the size of Texas. <laughs> Thereabouts. Maybe a little bit smaller. In this respect, it says, especially they were a model church or assembly. From them sounded forth the word of the Lord, and they became examples to believers, showing the power of that word in their lives. The apostle writes in a joyful spirit, for he has just received from Timothy glad tidings of their faith and love, as Paul recites in chapter 3, verse 6. And we're going to read that today if we have time and get there. Part 2. The writer says a large part of the epistle to the Thessalonians is occupied with the doctrine of the Lord's coming, that coming which he himself announced in Matthew 24, 36, 25, 31, 2664 and so forth the same coming of which he spoke in Acts 1 7 it is not for you to know the times and the seasons 
which the Father hath put in his own power. It says the similarity throughout the epistle of the nearness of that coming is emphasized in chapter 110 to 12 and 19, 313, uh, 413 through 18, 51 through 11, and 23. But, as has been well observed, that which draws near may withdraw also. And such we know to be the case, for owing to his people's rejection of the king and kingdom, the latter is in abeyance till the times of the Gentiles are ended. So the coming of Thessalonians that was so discussed and talked about and so near has been postponed, as the writer makes pretty clear here, because of the revelation of the church, the body of Christ, due to the rejection of the Lord by the nation of Israel. It says, First and Second Thessalonians are unique in many respects, uh, for example, chronology, uh, chronologically as well as canonically, uh, it says see Appendices 180 and 192, the use of special terms in relation to the coming, uh, the parousia and the epiphania of our Lord, uh, for these see notes. And they are the only epistles addressed to a church specifically. Uh, Remember when Paul wrote Ephesians, for example, he says to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So they're saying that the the book of Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians here, are the only, this is the only two epistles specifically addressed to a single church. Then note number three, the epistle is the earliest of the writer, writings of Paul, having been sent out from Corinth about the end of 52 or the beginning of 53 A.D. Some hold that of all the books of the New Testament, it was the first written. So, something to chew on there, Mikey. <laughs> something to think about. Thessalonica and Salonica, or now Salonica, on the bay of the same name, has always been one of the busiest parts of the Aegean. It was the chief city of a division of Macedonia, and is said to have had a population of 200,000 at the beginning of our era. Much smaller now, the city has always had a large proportion of Jews among its inhabitants. So you can glean a lot of... You see what I mean by reading these introductions? You can glean a lot of knowledge that you may not otherwise know about the book that you're about to embark on before you ever dig into the book. So turn with me to First Thessalonians. Let's start at chapter 1. The verse I'm looking for is in verse 2, so we don't go far till we, we see uh, prayer mentioned. <clears throat> but I am going to read the entire chapter for the context, and so you'll kind of know how this book goes and, and the sort of the uh, the underlying theme or, or uh, tense that, that sort of goes with it. It says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul and Sylvanius, and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see why Paul, why, why the writer said this is uh, the only one of the only two epistles addressed specifically to a group of believers. And then verse two is our verse. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. 
So as Paul prayed, he made mention of the people in Thessalonica. I can, I would have loved to have heard with all that Paul had to say regarding prayer, would, what would you give to have heard just one of Paul's prayers to see how he did it? I mean, I, I think he's even written a few of them. I believe that a large chunk of Ephesians 1 is a prayer. Yeah. So you can kind of, you kind of read his prayers were almost, uh, spirit induced or spirit given. Well, they, he took on, he took on the mind of Christ in my view. Yeah, when he, when he did this. When, when he got the mystery truth. Yeah. He was given, he was given that, that the Lord wasn't able to speak. Yeah. When he was here. It in made person. a big difference. And so, what you're reading, and what these prayers are, is the one that's really in tune yeah. with the Godhead. So you can, you get a pretty good example of how we should pray as we ought, as, yeah. uh, in, in order not to grieve the Spirit, because that can certainly happen. The Spirit can be grieved by that that we, which we pray correctly or incorrectly. So he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, and prayers there is prosuke, that's the noun. And uh, so he's keeping the Thessalonians in their prayers, Remembering, he says, without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. These people have an election of God. Now, does that mean they were chosen to be part of the members of the body of Christ? Well, maybe in their dispensation, but the hope of them as a member of the body of Christ is different than it is for us as a member of the body of Christ. Remember, Paul talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. The body of Christ, I don't believe, is a specific thing to us. I believe we were added to the body of Christ with a specific hope after Paul got the revelation of the mystery. But the body of Christ already existed. Remember, in Ephesians, he's going to make of two. One new man in Christ. Not just us. But the Jews also that believed in that time. They're going to make of the two. One new man in Christ. I think that's the reason that we, uh, that a lot of people understand that he, that Christ came and took away our sins. But the rest of his work that Christ did, the rest of that work that he did was having a particular uh, spot for us, and and so in that giving of that, that that's pretty much the rest of the story yeah. of the, of Christ. These people have their lot, their inheritance, their portion as a member of the body of Christ, yeah. and we have our lot and portion and promise and blessing yeah. as a member of I the body. But they're not the same lot. They're, yeah, I, they're not the same hope. I think that's a good thing to remind and I, that it's you know, we, we like to sit around, well the body of Christ didn't exist until until oh, the church came along. I don't believe that at all. And uh, I can prove that in first Corinthians twelve. If you don't believe it, go back and read it. Don't take my word for it. Uh, and I'm not, you know, trying to be adamant about it. I'm just thinking 
that the body wasn't redone, it was just added to. They get their heavenly hope on the earth, we get our heavenly hope in the heavenlies. It's just a different place that they receive a different hope from us. So, you know, be sure you know what I'm saying before you, you go and say, well, Ronnie, man, Ronnie's, he's saying this about the body of Christ and, you know, all these things. You know, you got to make sure you get right what I'm saying. Well, you got to rightly divide it in order yeah. to understand you, it. They it? certainly have the hope of the coming here. Yeah. And I'm going to prove that as we go along. So let's read on. Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were all in examples or in samples to them, to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul says, we hold you guys up as examples of what God can do by the word of our power, he says. He says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also, listen to this, in every place your faith to God, to Godward, is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul says, when we get there to these places, these people that are so willing to believe have already heard about the Thessalonians and what God, the powerful things God has done here with you people. What, how would you like to be a Thessalonian listening to this? And feeling like, man, we've we've really, Paul thinks that we're what's happened. Paul yeah. thinks that we're doing that which God that we have really would have us. That we've we've achieved what God would have us to achieve. Yeah, I mean, how great would that be to feel that way? He says in verse nine, for they themselves, the the people that we come up on, Paul says, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. These people even show us how you did that. Isn't that something? He says, and to wait for his son from heaven. Huh. You got to wait for the coming? Evidently they do. And to wait, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Which delivered us, he says, from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? Oh, the wrath to come was the great and terrible Lord's Day. The day of the Lord. It's terrible. Who can abide it, Scripture says. Read Joel. Read Joel the prophet. The other, there are other Old Testament prophecies that deal with the great and terrible day of the Lord. The wrath to come. Paul says. So we'll stop there at 10. Go with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Another short chapter. I'm going to read all 13 verses. But I want you to to note the usage of praying. And this this is going to be the word deamai. Which means to beg or to beseech. To petition or to make request, uh, and there's a there's a modifier in this on this word when we get to it in 
in verse 13. No, it's actually not in verse 13. I think it's in verse 10. Yeah. That we're praying this with praying exceedingly. That's a, that is a, uh, we're going to get into the exceedingly a little bit when we get to that verse. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God. And now we're getting into the part. You remember when I read the introduction? Mm-hmm. It talked about Paul sent Timothy to check on them, see how they were doing, and and to bring back word. So he's recounting that here in, in chapter 3. He says in verse 2, And sent Timotheus our brother, a minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves. Know that we are appointed thereunto. Paul said we are appointed unto these afflictions. He says, For verily, verse 4, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know, and boy, you know, from reading the book of Acts, along this area when they went out of Thessalonians, or when they went out of Thessalonica. I mean, I believe they went to Derby and Lystra. And remember, Paul was actually stoned to death after they left there. And then they, remember, after he was raised, they backtracked. They backtracked a little ways. To prove, guess what? That he was still alive. Hey, you thought you got me, boys, but here I am. Look at the power of God at work. It wouldn't be like the Apostle Paul to miss an opportunity. I can see him capitalizing on an opportunity like that to go back through these places and prove that he's alive even after they themselves stoned him to death. <laughs> well, you know, if that happened to me and I was standing there and I would have been one of the ones casting the rocks and this guy that I saw his head crushed and knew with, with, um, from the evidence presented if you look at the scripture and Acts and having supposed it says... But that word suppose there is the Greek word for concluding from the evidence given. They drew a conclusion from the evidence that his head was smashed, that he was dead. Or they wouldn't have quit. Or they wouldn't have quit stoning. Well, then guess what? This dude shows up, and he's walking around in front of you. And he's still doing exactly what it was you stoned him for. Well, how do you deal with that? That would give you a pretty empty feeling like, well, I can kill him, but it don't, it, you know, it's kind of like if you kill him, he won't learn nothing. And, you know, they killed him and he, he came back anyway. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you don't. You just get out of his way. So, when he says, for verily we were with you, we told you before, that we should suffer tribulation? Well, guess what? They did suffer some tribulation. You don't, you don't believe it? Go read the book of Acts. Tribulation followed Paul. Suffering followed Paul everywhere he went. They lied in wait to, to take him, to kill him. Even though some of them learned the hard way, as we just mentioned, that you can kill him, but it doesn't do any good. If God ain't done with him, he'll bring him right back. 
We should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. It certainly did. And you know, he said, you probably heard, you know it. He said in verse 5, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I couldn't stand it. I sent to know your faith. He sent Timothy to find out. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul said, I had to know. When I couldn't stand it any longer, I had to send somebody to find out how you were doing. Lest uh, I had to know if the tempter had got to you. If you had been swayed from that which we had put forth. He says, but now when Timotheus, but now when Timotheus came from you, verse 6, unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and love, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. He says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you. There had to be, there was probably no greater comfort for the Apostle Paul than to get word back and to know that the seeds that he had planted in, in Thessalonica had taken root and that they, the plants were alive and doing well, thriving. Probably no greater comfort. It, it's akin to the, when it, whenever somebody calls to discuss scripture and they say, well, I heard study you did and you made some good points and it got me. Look, there's nothing better than getting a report like that back from somebody about studying the scripture that, you know, some little thing you might have said or done that you didn't even think about bless them somehow. I mean, for a teacher, there's, there's no greater comfort to know than to know that, that something you said made a difference in somebody's lives and understanding. Trust me. And, and all you guys out there that, that attempt to teach, you know this, that there's no greater reward or blessing in the spirit than for somebody to come along and say, hey, we really, we really got a little bit out of what you had to say today. And that's what Paul says here. He said, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you. In all your affliction and distress, by your faith. He says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. He said, for what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Wow. He said, what thanks can we actually render to God for you? It's like... There are no words that we could adequately give God that would thank Him for what is happening in your, in your assembly. Paul is really taken and, and impressed. You know, in, in contradiction to what was going on with the Corinthians, I think, I think the, the book of Corinthians and the books of Thessalonians kind of uh, mirror one another a little bit in that you've got we got a perfect example of how the uh, how the assembly should be conducting themselves there, and then on the other hand, with Corinthians, you got the perfect example of how they should not be conducting themselves because First and Second Corinthians both, although there were believers there, there were believers there that were really struggling with their walk with regard to what they believe, and, and they had to be upbraided by Paul. They had to be scolded and corrected in a lot of occasions. And that stands in great contrast to verse 9 here in Thessalonians. 
where he says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? Wow. Again, it must have made these people extremely happy and thankful that they were they were counted this way in the eyes of the Apostle Paul. What thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before the before our God. And then he says, here's our verse in verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly. You see that? Praying exceedingly for you. Now that praying exceedingly there, uh, praying, of course, is the, it's not prosukamai or prosuke. Praying here is deame or deame. The pronunciation is more, is mostly deame. And it means uh, a petition to beseech, to pray to, or to make requests for. And obviously this one is to God. He said night and day praying exceedingly. Now, exceedingly here is ek perisos hooper. And ek perisos hooper exceedingly is literally out of super abounding abundance. And ek there is the out from or out of super abounding abundance. That's a lot of praying. If Paul says that, it's he says we're praying exceedingly and the Greek form for exceedingly is this ekparisos hooper. That's a lot. You might in, in today's vernacular, you might say he was praying to the point where he probably couldn't pray anymore as a human. I would say. Uh, when I look at Paul's prayer life and I try to compare Paul's prayer life to Ronnie's prayer life, there's a, there's a huge gap there. The more I look, the more I'm convinced of that. That Paul's prayer life, when he said pray without ceasing, I believe literally as he walked along, as he got up, as he bathed, as he ate, as he done whatever it was the apostle Paul did during the course of a normal day, that he was praying the whole time. He pretty much had to be. To get all that in, most of his day, as I'm discovering, I believe would have been taken up with prayer. And boy, does Ronnie fall short of that requirement. I've got all these other really important things to worry about, you know. I got a busted toilet in the in one of the bathrooms is leaking the, the drain is, is leaking under the floor I gotta worry about that well should I be praying while I'm working on fixing the toilet probably so you see but you see what I mean we have all these <laughs> we got all these daily things that you know that we got you know going to the store to get something to feed the dog or yeah. or these things you know we we do all these things and I think that in a lot of cases we waste a ton of time. Because even while we're doing our daily running around, you can be uttering a prayer for somebody, maybe for one of these ladies that we mentioned this morning, somebody you know, somebody in our study group, somebody you work with. I got a ton of people that I work with that's in need of a lot of prayer. 
But it dawned on me as I read this this morning. I'm like, wow. Out of super abounding abundance is sort of what this term means. It's almost like he prayed constantly. It's like almost if Paul was awake, he was praying. Well, it was kind of like he prayed that way till he till he just ran out of words. Yeah, till he, till there was nothing else to say. Yeah, and I believe even then he kind of kept on. He kept probably, going. Probably did. Probably started over again, repeating what he'd already said. I don't know, but boy, I'll tell you from some of the Greek forms I see. The word exceedingly just don't do it justice because when you break it down to ek, when I say ek parasos hooper, hooper means uh, above, beyond the cross, uh, on behalf of, beyond. Parasos means uh, in the sense of beyond, superabundant in quantity or superior in quality by implication, excessive. Exceeding abundantly above. I mean, look at the look at the vernacular of words that's going on here that describe these Greek terms that we boil down to the word exceedingly. Well, you know, it, it's hard to believe that that the Apostle Paul and his education he could not find. Words, words to say. To say. Yeah. yeah, that's just almost an impossibility. Yeah, but what I'm bearing down on here, though, is the fact that he probably never stopped. He prayed the entire time. Yeah. He was awake. And when I compare that to, to my puny prayer life, and even in my puny prayer life, I've seen the results. I'm seeing we're seeing it with Cole right now. Tony's. Nep- uh, brother's boy's nephew. We've seen it with, with our Tony Gantz. Yeah. I mean, there's something to this, y'all. There's just something to this. Night and day, he says, verse 10, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Well, that alone was is a lot of thought there. Oh, yeah. Because if, you, if you're dealing with somebody who you feel is lacking in their faith, uh, uh, there's a lot that you can Well, and, and even as much as he's bragging on them, he still says, you know, we could, we could make it we better. Could better. <laughs> you can still do better. Well, he said, now God himself, verse 11, now God himself and their Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, Huh? Oh, it may have dropped me too. I apologize for the, uh, the, I think my internet kicks off occasionally. It was either Power Talk that dropped us or my internet that dropped us. So, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, 10, 10 is amazing. And what we were doing, we were discussing how, how fervently Paul prayed. And the more I read about Paul and his prayer life, and I compare it to Ronnie's prayer life, the more I see uh, how I'm lacking. That Paul probably went about his daily life and doing all that he did. Everything he did was probably done in the midst of him praying. I mean, always. There's uh, 
there's almost no physical mechanical way in a 24-hour period or however long a period he was awake that he could say as many prayers as he did if he didn't pray without ceasing, if you think about it. Think about all the people during the books of Acts, all these different assemblies that he set up and moved from, moved on from, like these Thessalonians, where he has to send Timothy back to check on them. If he prayed for everybody that he said he was praying for, and I wager he did, every waking hour of his day had to be consumed with a prayer. Think about that. That's hard to fathom. What an example. Uh, we'll read 10 again. Night and day praying exceedingly. And that that's a pregnant phrase there. Praying exceedingly. Check into it. Don't take my word for it. If you didn't hear what I said about praying exceedingly, which is out from or an out of a super abounding abundance, it's kind of what it means. Check it out. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He said, now God himself and our Father, verse 11, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And then I wanted to go all the way down through 13, because 13 is very indicative of the dispensation in which the book is written. He says, to the end. Here, here we're going from what we're doing to the end game, the reason we're doing it. All this faith, all this abounding love, all this abounding praying is working toward an end. There's a hope to it. They're not just doing it for the fun of it. There's a, there's an end game. You heard, you ever heard that phrase? What, what's the end game here? What are we after? What's the goal that we hope to achieve? What's the point? As they say a lot of times. Here is the point. And Paul says the point is, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father, at, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ among all his saints. At the coming, the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end game. The hope for the Thessalonians here is the same hope that it's always been through the book of Acts. No difference. The hope for the Thessalonians is the same as the hope is for all the other grafted in Gentiles that were grafted into Israel's hope as we go along here. This is not the hope of the church, the body of Christ, that's taught in Ephesians and Colossians. That hasn't been written at this point. Paul doesn't even have that hope in his brain at this point, because at this point, that hope is still hid in God and not yet revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit. Amen. Because when you get to Ephesians... Paul plainly says 
never for never before revealed as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You have to wait on God. And we have to rightly divide it until we get there. So I have to assume that when I read Thessalonians, they know nothing of the church, the body of Christ, because Paul doesn't know anything about it. When Paul took the Ephesians down to the edge of the water in, in Acts 20, and he said, and he prayed with them, and he cried with them, and he said, you're not going to see my face anymore, but I want you to know that I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. He basically told those Ephesians, I've told you everything I know. But yet when you read in the book of Acts, there's no mention of Paul ever telling them the mystery. That gets written back to them much later. Several years down the road, once that revelation is given to the Apostle Paul, and he writes it back to them. It's not that hard when you when you rightly divide it. You gotta leave the book of Thessalonians where God put it, and you gotta leave the book of Corinthians where God put it, and you gotta leave the book of Ephesians where God put it. And praise God for all those books. Because out of all those books we gain our understanding and our knowledge of where the dividing lines are between that hope and our hope. That hope, Acts 28, held in abeyance. Our hope, revealed by the Apostle Paul and perfectly explained in Ephesians and Colossians. I hope that everybody under the hearing of my voice will go and check that out. I know there's lots of you that know it way better than I do. I wonder sometimes why Miss Janet and some of the other saints that have been studying longer than I've even been alive and probably know ten times what I know would even sit and listen to me in, in the teachings. Because I, you feel so inadequate a lot of times. But man, this, this message is so important. The truth for today is so absolutely important. And speaking of truth for today, I'll, I'll put in, uh, we got our, the paper should be at the printer this coming week, and you should be receiving your TFT if you're on the list uh, sometime before the end of January. So um, some good stuff in that one this time. Hope that you would grab it and read it and get the blessing from it that, that was intended. So we'll stop there for today. Uh, hopefully you got a little bit out of this. Bow with us, and we'll close with prayer, and then we'll, uh, then we'll unlock the mic. Father, once again, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And your love toward us who believe. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the gift of discerning this word, Father, rightly divided. Thank you for these saints that have come this way and for their testimony of their understanding of your word, Father, and their love of your Son. Thank you so much for these saints. We ask that you would be with those that we mentioned again uh, earlier this morning, Father, that, that Dad mentioned in his prayer. Father, that you would bless all those that need a touch from you for whatever reason or, or purpose, Father. We know that all things work out according to your plan and your purpose that you purposed in Christ before the ages were. Again, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for your spirit that actually does the teaching. And, Father, for the blessing that we receive from opening and breaking this word. Of course, in Christ's name this morning, we humbly pray. Amen. Amen.